Hello, my name is Natalie Savelle. Welcome to the Stepmom Strong Podcast. This show is for stepmamas or anyone dating a parent, really, all about how to navigate the challenges that come up in this complicated and often underestimated role. I'll be bringing you tips, tricks, validation, and support so that you know that you don't have to feel alone in this role and there are ways to make things a little less overwhelming. I hope you enjoy. Okay, everyone, here's another re-release from my virtual interview series, Empowering Stepmoms. This one's with Dr. Laura Markham. I'm so excited to share it. It is really amazing. I was re-listening to it before I posted and got so excited re-listening to it. It's really about, you know, how to use our journeys and challenges as a path for ourselves to grow and the importance of self-compassion when you're in a parenting role and I'm really excited to be sharing it here. So enjoy, and I'll see you on the other side. All right, welcome back everyone to the Empowering Stepmoms Reimagining the Modern Family virtual interview series. I'm Natalie Savelle, your host. I am the founder of Stepmom Strong Coaching where I help stepmoms go from overwhelm, resentment, confusion, and stress to confidence, clarity, and connection. And I'm super excited today to have one of my favorite parenting teachers out there. Her name is Dr. Laura Markham. I've been following her for a long time, and part of my step-parent journey has very much involved her work. So I'm super excited to have her with us today. Hi, Dr. Laura. Thank you for being here. Natalie, I'm glad I can be here. So um, Dr. Lara is a parenting expert. She serves as a parenting expert for many websites. Um, She makes frequent TV and radio appearances. She's been interviewed for hundreds of articles. Um, She has a relationship-based parenting model and she helps thousands of families across the US and Canada. Um, She's written several books on parenting, including Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids, How to Stop Yelling and Start Connecting, Peaceful Parent, Happy Siblings, How to Stop the Fighting and Raise Friends for Life, Um, And she also has a plethora of articles and tons of resources, which we'll hear about from her a little bit later on in the interview. So Dr. Lara, I would love to hear first how you came to this work and kind of what what drives you in this, in the parenting work. Well, what drives me is that parents are doing the hardest work there is, and it's and they don't get enough support. So I wanna support parents to be able to be their best selves with kids. And, you know, it's the hardest work because we're not just showing up for our kids. We have to change ourselves, inevitably. They will show us all the places we need to grow. And that's true whether they're your own kids or step kids. So there's a lot of hard emotional work involved in being a parent and that's, why that's what gets me up in the morning is to support parents to do that. That's amazing. Well, you do an amazing job. And I know in your course, one of the big, um, the things that I liked the best about it was the meditations that you did for parents every day that were really focused on self-compassion. And it's amazing to me how transformation can come from reorienting the way that we talk to ourselves, which I think applies to both stepmoms and moms. So I'd love to have you talk about Maybe if you've seen that and, and what, why you focus so much on self-compassion 
in the, in the parenting work? Well, we know that children who are criticized and berated don't do better, right? We know that the research shows us they don't do any better. What they need is support so that they can feel better about themselves and want to do better. And then they try. So why would it be different for us as parents? You know, berating ourselves really doesn't help. You can't feel worse and act better, you know? It, we're, we're, we just uh, end up internalizing bad feelings about ourselves. And then we walk around smoldering and then it all bursts out. So I sometimes I think, in fact, I have a friend who told me once, she said, you know, you really don't need to write all those newsletters you write. You could just write the same one all the time. I said, really, which one would I write all the time? She said, oh, self-compassion. That's really all anybody ever needs to work on. And that's really what takes us to enlightenment. And I thought, you know, it is true in a way that if we just worked on loving ourselves, we could become the emotionally generous parents we want to be because we can't, we can't be emotionally generous to someone else if we can't be emotionally generous to ourselves. Mm, yeah, that's so powerful. And it's so true. I see it all the time in my psychotherapy practice, as well as my stepmoms. Most of the root of people's challenges is this self-love and worthiness, right? So if you can get to that, then the other dysfunction kind of melts away. Yeah, so that's yes. really... I would add that so much of any relationship we have happens outside of consciousness. You know, we're on autopilot, we're just trying to get through the day. We're not necessarily consciously aware every moment, right? That would sort of be the definition of enlightenment if you were. So we're human, we're not, you know? We're rushing to get the dinner on the table or whatever. And since it's happening out of conscious awareness, it means that we really need to put extra effort into, really into clearing out the stuff that's otherwise gonna come out that is the negativity that we've brought with us through our lives, right? If we can work on our own stuff, then we won't have a knee-jerk negative reaction that's gonna spill over and inflame everything, right? Because we know any time you live with children, you're gonna have childish behavior. You could count on it, right? So given that, what's our job as the grown-up? Our job is to soothe that storm, not to inflame it and turn it into a major conflagration, right? So if that's our job, it helps if we've done sort of the, you know, cleared out as much as we can of the knee-jerk negativity so that we can be a little more clear and grounded and loving automatically when childish behavior arises. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And it really speaks too to a way of being as a parent rather than just the actions that you're taking. It's more of like transforming and healing yourself so that you can be more of an adult figure, someone who can handle their emotions, someone who can handle other people and kids' emotions, right? Which is really challenging. Like you said, it's like the hardest work, right? So, and I've seen with stepmoms that um, it's, it can be even more challenging. Like the triggers can be like heightened with a stepmom. And I've seen this for myself too. There's work that when I've done your work and other similar type parenting work, I can apply it to my son, no problem. Like I can watch the triggers and take a deep breath and have some self-compassion or a mantra and be present with him. But with my stepmom, with my stepson, the triggers like 
even stronger and I find it even more challenging to use those tools. And so I'm wondering if you, I know other stepmoms have a similar experience. So I'm wondering if you could speak to that a little bit and like why that could be and maybe some solutions. Well, we don't really know why it is, although I've observed the same phenomena. I agree with you that that is in play. I think when it, in a way it makes sense that it's because you didn't give birth to this child or, you know, there are plenty of adoptive parents who are just as close to their kids and don't have the same triggering that you're describing as with a stepchild. So I think you didn't have that child in your arms as a baby. You know, you didn't necessarily have that child early in your life. And there's some way in which it's not completely your child, right? It's your partner's child, but maybe that child goes off to see some other mom, you know? part of the time and that child has another mom and you're not trying to be that child's mom because that child has a mom already. And as a result, you're, you don't have the same kind of connection. And when you don't have that same level of connection, you're gonna have, you know, you're, you're gonna, some of the goodwill that you automatically have towards your own child is just not there. Right, right. So I also think, go ahead. Oh, please. I was gonna it. add that there's, no, I was just going to, I just occurred to me that there's also hurt feelings. So, you know, when your own child looks at you and says, I hate you, I want a new mommy, it hurts. But you also can say to yourself, look, I'm his mom. I'm, it's fine. He's mad at me right now. That's just what four-year-olds say. But when your stepchild looks at you and says, I hate you, I want my own mommy, you're like, wow, I've really failed, right? Because in fact, there is another mommy. And even if this child lost their own mother, and doesn't see their own mother for whatever reason to death or to the divorce and doesn't get to see her there's still some part of you that says i'll never really be able to live up to that idealized version of the mom and so there's some way in which the hurt feelings i think are bigger mm. than with our own children that makes sense yeah that makes so much sense of course and it's true like with my own son if he's says a mean thing to me i'm like oh i don't even take it personally at all it's like not a big deal or even if he's disrespectful sometimes i'm like oh he's being a kid he just needs to learn you know and i'm very easily forgiving to him whereas my stepson i'm like oh he has something against me personally that he's acting that way and i think a lot of step parents do the same thing so yeah that's a really good point that it's a lot easier to take it personally when you're in a step parent role versus when you have that just like solid connection and i tell some moms a lot that something that's really important to be intentional about is building that connection with your stepkids as like a priority before you start doing a whole lot of disciplining because you don't have that automatic connection like you do with your biological and even biological kids we have to work to keep the connection right so step kids i think we have to work a little bit harder to to really connect and that's something that you teach a lot and i think i was influenced by your teaching a lot when it comes to that i also think that if you haven't been a mother before and you become a stepmom you've never been a mother and so you you don't understand that kids act childish. You know, you really don't get it before you have a child. And when you have your own child, you've grown that child from a baby. And so you have seen that child right along. You have an understanding of that child. You know, if you're, if you marry someone who has a four-year-old and that four-year-old is showing up at your house acting like a four-year-old, you're like, oh my God, how could this child act this way? Right? So you, you don't, um, 
you actually don't have perspective on what it's like, right? And, and I would even throw in one more thing. I think that there's a certain amount of jealousy. So when you and your partner have a child together, sometimes one of you might get a little jealous. Uh, it's classic, actually, for dads, if the mom is very close to the baby or the toddler, and the toddler screams for mom when they get hurt, it's classic for dads to feel a little left out and a little jealous, right? But if that's the dad's child, he's at least going to be happy the child is getting nurturing, right? But if you marry some, uh, someone who has a stepchild of whatever age, and that stepchild appears in your home and wants your partner's attention, it's natural to feel jealous, right? I remember when my, my parents were divorced and when I was about four and uh, my dad remarried pretty quickly when I was five. And I still remember being in the kitchen of their new house, unpacking things with them. And my dad said, honey, and both, I, I was five years old. I turned around because that's what he called me. And my stepmother turned around because that's what he called her. And we both turned around and looked at him. And he looked from one to the other of us. And we looked at each other. And there was this recognition that, oh my goodness, we're in competition to be his honey in a way. Now, obviously, we weren't. That was his wife, right? But to me, it was like, well, who's she? How come she gets to be honey now, right? And I was only five. And I'm sure for her, and she didn't have children before that of her own. And I'm sure she was like, who are you to be his honey? You're five years old, get out of my way, you know? But I think there's that, that element of the complicated dynamic. Nobody wanted that to be a bad interaction, but it was sort of foundational in our relationship, actually. So I think that that, um, that sort of, you know, the roles are a little different than in a family where, you know, if he had called, if he had, been with my mother at the time and called my mother, honey, and me, honey, we would have ironed that out a long time ago. We would know which one he meant. You know, we would have figured it out. He wouldn't call us both honey probably, right? So there's, there's just this sort of more complicated meshing of roles as you blend a family. It doesn't mean it's bad. It means we have to be more conscious about it. So at that point, somebody needed to, you know, a uh, fairy godmother needed to take her little wand and spread a little fairy dust on us and say, it's okay, he loves you both, don't worry. And, you know, Mr. Markham, you need to use a different name for one of these, you know, important people in your life, you know? And right. I don't think he had any idea what, yeah. Yeah, that's such a good point. It makes so much sense that there's that added little nudge of like competition in there, even if we don't know it or we don't, like intellectually we're like i'm not competing with this child you know but like there's some part of us that wants that attention with this relationship that we have so yeah i can definitely see how that could play a part yeah so talk a little bit about um the importance of connection i know you teach that as like a fundamental tool connecting with your kids and taking time with them so talk a little bit about that and how that could also benefit a blended family and a stepmom yeah so when you think about how to get someone else to do what you want, it really comes from your relationship with them. You know, where do we have influence with other people? Completely from the relationship. Sure, we could force someone to do what we want, but only if we're bigger. And at some point, 
they get bigger. And even then, strong-willed people, even when they're smaller, you know, are not necessarily going to do what we want just because we try to intimidate them, right? And not in any way who uses fear to get the kid to do what we want, right? So how else can we get the kid to do what we want? Through relationship. And that's true whether you're a stepmom or a birth mom or an adoptive mom or any dad. You, you have to do, you have to influence your child through the relationship. And, you know, it may sound, um, you know, when I say I get the kid to do what you want, I'm not talking about being manipulative. I'm talking about being very direct, time for your back on, right? Whatever it is, you're being very direct about it. Um, but you also have to see it from their perspective, right? So you have to offer them understanding of, I know you're busy playing with your legs, you don't want to take your back. But that actually builds the relationship. If they feel understood, where you're saying time for your bath hun or wash your hands for dinner or time to get on your shoes to go to school and they're not doing it whether no matter what your relationship is you know in terms of if you're a stepmom or not relationship then they're more likely to um to, to cooperate with you basically it's that simple so really i say that parenting is 80 or 90 percent connection because the other 20 percent Sure, that's correction, it's guidance, but they're not gonna accept our guidance. It's a good practice in self-compassion right now. Sometimes mistakes happen and technology can be weird. I'm having one of those moments. Hmm. Looks like we lost Dr. Lara Markham. I think she was just talking about how connection can have such a vital impact on kids respecting you and be, be you being able to discipline them and with step parents that's even more important because they don't have the automatic connection and it's something I've really learned from working with her and through her on her courses is the idea of empathetic limits so not just setting limits but setting limits with empathy empathy so I understand it's really hard for you to turn off the TV right now you really don't want to turn off the TV um, and there we go, she's back, okay. I was explaining kind of the final thought and my understanding of, of that concept of like setting limits with empathy is the way you stay connected and that's the work to do to like, to stay connected so that they are better able to respect you when you have to set limits and when you have to like get them to, to follow certain rules. So, um, and I've seen that be the case for sure with my own kids, like it makes a, huge difference it is something that i have used as a like a mantra and just a reminder to myself whenever they're having trouble or struggling i remember something that you taught me which was they're having a hard time they're not giving me a hard time which has been revolutionary for me absolutely revolutionary and my partner and i now say it to each other too if one of the kids is having a really hard time and we're getting really starting to get really frustrated I'll say like, geez, he's really having a hard time right now. And then we both remember like, right, he's the one that's having a hard time. It's not us that he's giving a hard time to. So it's made a huge, huge difference. And, and um, yeah, so I wonder if you could expand on that concept a little bit more, just the idea of like when a kid is emotionally reactive and having a tantrum or having a fit or yelling or screaming, what is and we're getting like so frustrated right it's, sometimes it's just infuriating when that happens because we think it's inappropriate or we have somewhere to be or we think they should have learned by now or for whatever reason it, it can be like very aggravating 
So talk a little bit about that and how you teach parents to like reframe that to be able to be more compassionate and connected. Let's say, so let, let's say something happens to you. Um, you're at work and you get terrible news about something. You're very, very upset and you just sweep what's on your desk off onto the floor. Now, your boss who's in the room is like, how can you do that? That's totally inappropriate. And, you know, berates you for doing this. Of course, totally understandably, right? But is that actually what's going to help you? You just had devastating news, like the worst possible news about something, right? Naturally, you're upset. And I think that's the, you know, we, we wish the boss would understand at that moment that this terrible thing just happened, right? And so I think for our children, they act like that a lot, you know, where they just are out of control, they're on the floor kicking and screaming because they just received terrible news. Like, no, they don't have time to finish their game. They have to put their shoes on to go somewhere and get out of the house. And to them, it's terrible news. And to us, it's like, my goodness, give me a break, get ready, you know? Um, and so we think it's inappropriate. So I think there's this complete clash of we don't see it from the other person's point of view, right? And I'm not saying the boss is wrong, but I'm not saying you were wrong either when you got that terrible news. So in this case, I'm not saying you're wrong that it's inappropriate for your child to be doing what they're doing, kicking and screaming and throwing their shoes because they don't want to put them on. But we can also look at it from their perspective. And we might see that actually they feel they were promised that they could finish this game. And they never get to win and they were going to win this time. And they always don't get what they want. They're always being ordered around. And, you know, we could go on and on with a litany from the child's perspective. And if we just could see it, you know, the walk a mile in someone else's moccasins, if you could just see it for, an, you know, a moment, see what it actually feels like to the child, you would completely change how you're responding. You would be like, oh, baby, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's not what you wanted. And we still have to go. And we do. And, and this is so sad and so hard for you and so disappointing. I get it. And no, don't even bother putting those shoes on. We'll bring them in the car. We'll put them on once we get there or whatever. You would try to make it as easy as possible for the child at this point, right? Because they're just not able to cope at that moment with whatever. And you would say, most of us would say, he should know better by now. This is inappropriate. Yeah, but in fact, every child is at a different level developmentally. There's that. And age doesn't necessarily uh, describe where a child is going to be. You know, this child may have some delays in ability to self-regulate. I'm going to throw out here something. I don't know if this is true, but I'm betting you that the research would show that kids whose parents have been divorced have a harder time self-regulating. I'm just going to bet it because usually they've seen their parents fight. And even if they haven't seen their parents fight, they've gone through the insecurity-inducing situation of having one parent move out. And their family, as they know it, has actually died. The family they knew is no more. It is gone. And so they've gone through grief. And often parents have a very hard time with the divorce themselves. They have a hard time, you know, giving the child support. So these are kids who've had an extra layer of stress, serious stress in their lives, emotional stress. So I haven't seen any research to support this, but I wouldn't be at all surprised 
if those kids act out more, at least for a time, I'm not saying permanently, but for that time period as they need help. So if you have a stepchild, you know, that, that child may have extra, have extra challenges that you won't see in your child who's, who you've raised the whole time, who's been with both parents the whole time, you know. So it, that won't always be the case, but it could easily play a role. So I think all of our judgments that we bring to the child at this moment, they're not helpful. They're really just not helpful. What's happening is here's a child who's trying to express what is going on with them, which is they're really upset. And the truth is, if they're overreacting, it's a good thing. It's actually a good thing if they're in tears on the floor overreacting because now they're getting to cry those tears of futility about the things that are not going right in their life. And if you could offer them a shoulder to cry on, they will be your best buddy forever because somebody finally understands. And, you know, I have seen families where the stepmom or the stepdad becomes the confidant, the one they turn to, the one who, who does understand. And it's completely possible for that to happen. I think you have to be a bit of a saint to make it happen. You, know, you do, you have, because you have to so get over yourself. But if you can do that, you can change this child's life in a way that gives them their life back, you know? Right, sure. And I do think it is important to recognize too that, yeah, you do have to pretty much be a saint because it does take like a whole nother level of energy and a whole nother level of, I think, maturity and um, readiness to kind of take on that role. And so, and part of what I do is tell some moms, like, if you're not ready to do that, even if you see the need, it's not your responsibility. Right. But if you can and you have the energy and the willingness, like it's worth, it's, it is worth it in the end, right? Because it can make such a huge difference for a kid. And I love what you said about, um, like, you can't necessarily expect a kid to self-regulate based on their age, especially kids who've been through divorce. And so much plays into that. Like, I think personality and however their, their parents might not be good self-regulators and may not have taught them those skills. And they might have a more sensitive personality. And going back and forth between two houses in itself is a very stressful event. I mean, it's stressful for adults. If you've ever like had a, a boyfriend or girlfriend and you're going back and forth, that's hard to do packing up all your stuff and remembering everything and just reorienting every time you go. So usually adults, if they're doing that, they don't do it for very long because they're like, this is too much. So if it's stressful for adults, it's of course going to be stressful for kids as well. So that probably, I mean, I can see that playing a, a big factor in the inability to self-regulate too. Yeah. Um, that's so great. So um, so just for the audience to know, I did an amazing parenting course with Dr. Laura Markham where there was um, modules every week, I think it was, and there was meditations every day to support the parent to do their healing. Um, and it was super powerful. And I honestly wish that there, like everywhere I, like, I need your reminder of your voice. <laughs> it's so good to talk to you even today, just to get reminded of this way of thinking, because it really doesn't come naturally. It's not instinct. It's actually counterintuitive for me, at least. So, you know, it's a funny thing, intuition. So if we were in total clarity, our intuition would come from our higher selves, from our hearts, where, which have a lot of wisdom mm. about seeing the other person's perspective and about tending to our own needs and taking care of us, right? But so often, we, we're, our minds are cluttered and busy and we're just stressed out trying to get the next thing done. And we don't hear the wisdom of our hearts and our higher selves. 
Instead, we're operating on the sort of lowest common denominator of just got to get this done and we're just elbowing our way through life in a sense. And the intuition that's going to come from that is going to be on automatic pilot. It's going to be what your parents did with you. And it's going to be the easiest way to get that kid in the car seat, you know, whatever, including, of course, yelling at them to get their shoes on right now or whatever. And sometimes we have to do that. Sometimes you have to put the kid in the car seat to go pick up the other kid. It happens. But if we go through life on autopilot and our intuition is actually those tape loops that were formed in our own childhoods, that intuition does not serve us because it's not actually intuition. It's the pre-recorded automatic responses that maybe were fine, well, that we learned as children, maybe even served us as children, but they're not necessarily serving us now. So I, that's one of the reasons I'm such a big fan of meditation and mindfulness, even in tiny doses every day, just to sort of get you back to your heart. Because I think from there, a whole world of compassion opens up and we're able to, then the, the intuition, the instincts that come through are going to be, are going to serve you and serve the children around you. Yeah, it's so true. Such a good reminder just to take that space. I try to, I, since you, partly your influence, I do try to take that five minutes and I encourage all, all my clients, stepmom clients, psychotherapy clients, everyone to take that, just that little bit of space that connects you and also slows your mind down. You know, it is, it's, it's really powerful. So I love that. And I loved how yours were so focused, like I had mentioned earlier, on the self-compassion and kind of gave you that guidance of like taking it easy on yourself regardless of what was going on. So this is a path, right? It's a process and it's, it's, it's like, yeah. Um, it's a life's work. You never get done. But I would say that you can, you can see that a palpable difference in only a few months. You can see yeah. that you're happier. Because in yeah. fact, when you have more self-compassion, you are happier. And you can change the tone in your house. As you get happier, the tone in your house changes. Yeah, it's so true. And even if it's, right, and, and what I noticed too was, so sometimes I'm not taking as good care of myself, so I'll fall off the wagon, but then I get back on and it becomes easier and easier to get back on the wagon of like self-compassion and compassion for those around me. And then also, right, like before maybe someone would, not me necessarily, but you know, you freak out nine out of 10 times and then you start freaking out seven out of 10 times or four out, you know, and then slowly it goes down and the ratio becomes like lesser and lesser. And that's the work I think. And that's what's so powerful. Yeah. So we do that's have a great way. So, I mean, I just want everyone who's, who's a viewer here to know that they don't have to be perfect. Just improve your ratio. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we do have to wrap up. So tell people where they can find you and there'll be a link attached to the video for them to be able to click on. So tell us what, um, what they can find. Aha parenting, A-H-A, like those aha moments. Great. So you all can see the link next to the video. Thank you so much, Dr. Laura Markham. It has been amazing. Such a value for the stepmoms watching that might not have been tuned into you without um, you being able to speak to them directly. So I love that you were able to do this. Thank you so much. Take care. All right, you too.
Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to write a review so that more people can find this podcast. Show notes, resources, anything mentioned on the interview, you can find on my website, www.nataliesavelle.com slash podcast. And I will see you next time. Make it a wonderful week.